welcome to Culture Matters, my podcast where we dive into the many facets of organizational culture. I am your host, Subhu Kalpati. I am a learning leadership and organizational development professional. In today's episode, we shine a spotlight on fostering a culture of mental well-being. As the world of work continues to evolve rapidly, understanding and prioritizing mental health has never been more important. I'm thrilled to have Sonali Gupta join us today. Sonali is a highly sought-after clinical psychologist, author, columnist, and workplace consultant, having worked with numerous leading organizations. Her expertise in the field enables us to do a deep conversation about anxiety, mental health, well-being, and much more. So without further ado, let's jump in into the discussion. Welcome to the podcast, Sonali. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Where I want to start is, um, you know, a little bit about your background. Maybe we start there. Um, you are a practicing therapist. You've uh, you've also written a book on uh, anxiety uh, and how people can overcome it. Um, you extensively work with, uh, you know, both corporate professionals as a part of your practice um, and also with organizations as a part of your consulting work. Um, you're a columnist with Mint. You um yeah you know you do you do quite a lot i think so how is it uh, if you can talk a little bit about your work um and maybe that's a good starting point for us how did it uh, happen that you so um you know got uh, got ingrained in your work and how did you get to where you are today maybe that's a good starting point for us ah uh, thank you we could do that yes uh so i think ever since i was 8 or 10 i was quite sure that i want to be a therapist so i haven't really thought of any other career you know ever yeah. and the writing and the therapy bit is you know are two bits which i always wanted to do you know and i remember back in the day you know this must have been many years back there was a therapist who used to write not weekly but she used to write i think in bombay times or times of india various columns on mental health and my mom would tell me about it and you know she actually used to have cuttings of it you know all of it so i was introduced to the career very early on in that sense so this is the only career i've thought of and uh, i always wanted to work as a therapist you know primarily you know work with young people you know and that's what i was interested in and my first job with was with tata institute of social sciences mm. so i did begin and that was just how things work out i worked actually at a college before that briefly and then tata institute of social sciences and so now it's been almost 20 years 19 years i think next year it will be 20 years so 19 years so little shy of two decades and uh, back then i used to as i've always worked part time i've never wanted to actually work full time at all uh, so although there are a lot of these things i do everything is part time there's nothing full time really back in the day when i started i would work for an organization that worked uh, ngo that worked with children of social work uh, you know sex workers uh, you know work uh, work at tiss as a college counselor i used to do some teaching i used to do some private practice so it was a mix of those now over the last 10 years i've shifted to a private practice largely and that's what i primarily you know work out of i do largely online work and i work um around relationships anxiety grief trauma burnout and uh, you know for a lot of professionals in the creative finance and technology industry these are areas i work uh, i think writing started somewhere 10 years back and uh, 
you know, I started with, uh, I used to do some writing for DNA, then I wrote for Swaddle, then Mumbai Mira, I used to run a column called Terms of Engagement for two years. And now it's Mint and Hindustan Times for both of them. I write a, I write a fortnightly column for both, so about two columns each, you know, for them, uh, you know, in a month. So pretty much all weeks get covered between the two of them. And uh, I've done corporate work over the years, a bit here and there, ever since 2004. Though in the last five years, five to seven years, there's been a larger, larger work as a workplace organ, you know, consultant has evolved in the last five to seven years, where I work with corporates to build a psychologically safe environment. And now in the pandemic to help them, you know, how can managers work to create safe environments? What can organizations do to give mental health a good name? How can we build a culture of mental health? In the pandemic, my work as a workplace consultant really accelerated in the pandemic, although I was doing it, but it wasn't to that intensity. And now it takes a fair bit you know, of my time. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoy you know, working with them. And it's good to see corporates doing consistent work which also I think is symbolic of a change of times. Like I don't think back in 2012, 14 or 2004, 5, we had so many corporates talk about mental health so openly. Right. Fantastic. Uh, Thank you for laying that out, Sonali. I think that gives a good perspective of uh, how you got to where you are today and the kind of work that you do. Um, So thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, it and you mentioned it briefly. So it's been about three years since COVID uh, struck, and you know I think all of us went through this process of collective uh, trauma, where I think directly or indirectly everybody was affected uh, because of this. And I suppose you're still going through that and figuring out, you know, how do we heal from this? And it's a process, um, as I'm sure you also agree. Um, looking back at at your many years of practice, uh, Sonali, even pre-COVID and post-COVID, you mentioned post-COVID there's been a shift uh, in how organizations, especially view um, something like mental health, for instance, Um, what have been, you know, your greatest learnings or have you had any aha moments in the last uh, few years of your practice? Yes, I think to begin with, I think the the corporates acknowledging the needs for mental health, you know, and work around it, I think it's something which accelerated, you know, in the midst of the pandemic rather than post-COVID in the midst of the Mm. pandemic. I think one thing which really, really now stands out and is very valid now for most people and which also stands out for me and which was there before the pandemic, but now is this factor around job intensity, you know, that as compared to how things were about five years back or even seven years back, the job intensity has suddenly heightened across countries not just corporates, but also in relation to, you know, freelancers. And I think technology has had a huge role there, you know, where the job intensity has really, really heightened. And that's something which is new, you know, while it happened even in 2019. But I think um, this hybrid model of work also, you know, also we learning that online can work has also added to this job intensity. And I think it would be interesting to see in the months, years to come, how do we build guardrails? How do we work around with the job intensity and take care of our you know, mental health? So that's something which would be very interesting to watch out for, you know, as the years go by. 
Uh, secondly, I think it has been it has been really during the pandemic, and I think even now, um, I think people got very comfortable being on their own, and people got comfortable staying at home. Also, you know, if you live in India, no matter which city you live in. we do we are very spoiled right like uh, i could get up in the morning and just go into an app and order you know order my basic groceries and 10 minutes in i will have those groceries right so there's a huge degree of you know i think a lethargy of fatigue that has come into people where heading out concentrating on social fitness you know meeting people that has come down radically and i think it's it's uh, and now that we are heading out far more you know in the last 6 to 10 months almost a year now still there seems to be a bit of lethargy inertia which is still there for people so you know so that's a huge concern for me and also you know to think about that what does one need to do in order to increase one social fitness and i think the last important bit is about i think our ideas of you know burnout our ideas of what it means to lead a good life i think in the last 5 to 8 years these questions have become more pertinent than ever before and i think they make it through most sessions whether it's young people whether it's older folks so i think the intensity with which they are showing up is huge and that's something that's important for us to pay attention to and maybe also reimagine also look out for those cues and consciously i think people are mindfully now trying to build a good life very interesting thank you for sharing that um, sonali uh, and i think it's also a perfect seg- segue for us to um, go a little bit into the book that you wrote which is um, called anxiety and uh, overcome and live live without fear um you open your book with this um yeah with this thought that we are living in a state of perpetual anxiety and you differentiate between you know what what can be normal anxiety and you know how does it become a disorder um could you could you throw a little light on this and help us differentiate uh, these two yes of course uh, so you know the book was actually written before the pandemic uh it just that the book released just uh, it released on 1st may 2020 just when you know when the lockdown was there the pandemic was just we were right in midst of it and throes of it and yeah. um and i was asked often like did i write it in the last three months the answer is no i written it much before and i did anticipate the pandemic it just that the <laughs> book released at that time it was always supposed to be a may scheduled may you know released but mm. we released it on kindle first because there was a huge need people everybody was struggling with anxiety right? right at that particular time so so the kindle version came first and then the paperback version you know came for the book so you know anxiety i don't know any one of us who has never experienced anxiety right i'm sure you have also experienced anxiety there's yeah. all of us who have experienced anxiety you know so So you know, think about it. Like we have this call scheduled, we are doing it online. 
there's just a basic before i get on the call i check my wifi to see it's working fine you know in case it's not working there's a moment of the nervousness apprehension that ah okay you know the podcast recording would not happen if the internet is not working so you know that basic anxiety that restlessness that comes in when we think something is not going as we had planned or the fact that things are not working out so normal anxiety has to do with you know when you have a medical procedure you know there's a restlessness or anxiety about how it will turn out right because it's the unknown we don't know like with the internet we don't know if my internet was not working how long would it not work right on the other hand when people struggle with anxiety and i'm not even saying anxiety is a disorder i'm saying even if it's from normal anxiety to like a higher order a moderate degree of anxiety it shifts in the direction that two criteria uh, the frequency of how often you feel anxious gets heightened so you know when you have a surgery lined up when there was covid there was a trigger and there were reasons to be anxious about when people struggle with anxiety on a day to day basis they may be anxious about everything they may be anxious about how to reply to a message how to write an email you know if they dress up a certain way they would be concerned whether it looks right at all times they would be worried about it so one is the intensity the frequency where you know it's there consistently all the time like people mm. with anxiety would feel there's a podcast going inside their head where there's yeah. this voice constantly they are second guessing they feel restless there's breathlessness and the other is intensity that you know it would be normal for example to you know like the same example of you know the internet that you know it's normal to you know worry that okay is the internet is it working fine to do the basic check but at the same time if this fear is excessive it's consistently there if i were worrying right since the morning about it and although my internet doesn't really stop working it's fine most of the time then the intensity of it is far higher than what it needs to be mm. and so when we are anxious most of the times we don't trust ourselves we second guess ourselves then that falls into a category that requires attention yeah while you were giving that example i was also uh, reflecting about how many times i checked the internet in fact i just realized uh, that i should have turned on my hotspot while i started speaking to you so i just did that quickly but yeah, i i hear you that if it's uh if it's chronic and if it's you know if it's chatter that's going on all the time then it becomes uh a little difficult to manage and requires attention thanks for that um so sonali i wanted to uh, touch upon this one point that you mentioned in the book and also in the recent um, you know column article that you wrote i think just a couple of days ago for the mint um which is this whole notion of the high performing individual um and what um you know what that that does and therefore again you also touched upon it because you said there's a lot of intensity through which we work uh, through our day to day uh, especially now um so can you throw a little light upon what is this uh, you know notion of the high performing individual and the associated anxiety that uh, that comes with it and what what should we do to take care of ourselves so i think this idea of high functioning high performing you know and high functioning and yet anxious it has evolved over a period of time mm. and i think a lot of us including you know me are guilty of falling into those semantics and those semantics almost can be misleading in some way they don't paint the full picture so generally somebody is high performing looks like they are good at work they are good with their productivity they are good with their performance they are good 
they show up at work they are committed they are liked by others very often underneath it lies like you know this person who may feel shaky from within who may be showing up at work but not showing up at, at the family level or not showing up for themselves so not being able to take care of you know their workouts their eating timings not sleeping well feeling consistently wired also we forget that while people may come across visibly as all intact and showing up in a certain way they also we we don't know how much you know energy and effort it's taking for them to show up so one is that the second is we seem to forget when we are measuring by you know performance by productivity we are forgetting are people being hopeful when they are doing it you know are they enjoying what they do you know are they do they feel a sense of vitality you know which is very very important for you to feel hope you know for you to feel that there's something to look forward to is there a sense of purpose you know that you feel with your life at large you know if not you know just specific to work and how are you in various other areas of your life so when it comes to social emotional interpersonal and i think our ideas and our definition of mental health needs to include all these and even even for organizations to pay attention when there's somebody high performing how are they on these other parameters and maybe high performing needs to include some of these parameters yeah Uh, very interesting that you mentioned the point about purpose and how that also affects how we approach our work and how we uh, how we see it and therefore uh, work towards a more fulfilling life not just just work overall right so um great point um, sonali um there's this other uh, associated point that you make um uh, in the book also uh, which is that you know this constant feeling that we have of being uh, always on and you know we're working around the clock and uh, we were just speaking before we started the podcast is that you know we are uh, we are pretty much online and doing our work online uh, for so many hours uh, through these days it can also lead to some unintended physiological consequences of you know some of us may be putting on weight and like you mentioned not eating well not taking care of ourselves um i just wanted to touch upon that a little bit why do you think that happens uh, what's happening at the level of the psyche why is it that we ignore some of these hygiene things that we should be doing and taking care of ourselves uh, does this completely take over what what really is happening sonali is what i want to know uh, there so couple of things i think uh, you know when we are working online it can get very easy to get to feel wired mm. and when you, when you know there was earlier travel that allowed kind of a space in between now you could you could get up in the morning and you could just directly start your day by you know checking your emails if you've gotten you gotten up really late maybe just you know get your coffee and get to work right yeah. i think also work from home doesn't come with any beginning rituals any closure rituals you don't there's nobody to go to you know really nobody is really checking you know how you're dressed really in that sense and also as we talked about if there is that job intensity very often when people work from home they may just think that let me finish this and get on to you know and then i will do something the only thing is that the work never gets done right it just keeps expanding yeah. at the end of the day and some of these things i think people i hear more and more, more people talk about that we are working from home they think that they'll take a shower at the end of the day or the meal timings get pushed because 
everybody is in a different time zone and you know the meeting is at 1 pm you know for somebody in a different country the it's already 5 pm and you have to finish it so i think it requires a mindful action from people to prioritize their self care their hygiene and even think look at sleep you know eating uh, eating on time taking care of their hygiene as non negotiables as also ways that they can pause and take a micro break because that i think when you're wired you forget to take micro breaks you keep working and you forget that you have to pause so it can be very and when people are more wired in fact they are less likely to sleep get good quality sleep because it takes a long time for them to cool down in fact guilty as charged so i did have my lunch quite late today which i should not have done <laughs> so i know exactly what you mean it's it's i mean this is experiential right it's not something that's out there it's something that all of us go through pretty much on a day to day basis so yeah absolutely and it's so much more difficult to unwire ourselves especially when we are in the zone um i have a follow up question on this uh, which is that you mention uh, again in your in your work that we we have this constant itch to get back to technology to get back to social media and you know doom scrolling or what have you um right and we we and you also make an associated point that we are we are connected all the time but yet there is this um you know feeling of loneliness that we have so while we may be talking to someone or connected or chatting with someone we still might feel profoundly lonely i think you touched upon this a little bit earlier where you said we need to get out and be more social uh, but can you can you talk to this a little bit about what's really going on here so i think in the book i describe it as the itch you know where all of us want to reach out for our phone as the next thing you know even if even if you're watching a movie we want to still check if there's a notification right and in fact you know um you know i heard this brilliant you know conversation you know where the psychologist was talking about the very fact that there's a phone present in the room you know research shows that even if we don't even if we don't end up checking it we are using all our energy to not check it so we are spending energy mm. one is the itch to reach out and check it the other is even if we don't want to check it we are still spending our energy saying oh how do i not check it right so i think we are living at a time where there's this constant there's constant updates right whether it's on your social media whether it's on your email where there is so much happening that there isn't really a pause till the time you decide to put in a pause there you know the itch continues whether on a holiday whether on a weekend or even after work hours right it's very normal for people to uh, it's not normal let me correct myself it's something i hear very often where people will say by sunday 4 5 i'm back to answering mails because monday there are so many mails to answer yeah. right so i hear it very very often um you know and i think it itself is a sign about the overwhelm we are feeling email overwhelm is real you know most people across organizations feel it even if you freelance you know you know there's a risk of you know we feeling that i do feel overwhelmed you know by emails in fact there are days now i have scheduled days on which i'll answer i'll answer the emergent you know the mails which are most you know which are emergency mails i'll answer them but there are some days where i take like a full 24 30 hours break and don't answer an email like over the weekend i don't you know so that helps and uh, i think the other point which you are making the second one so we are very connected in the context of 
you know, the emails coming, like, you know, I could be speaking to somebody in a country miles away, but, you know, we will, over five minutes, we have figured, oh, we are doing this conversation, this is the time we are doing it, this is the agenda for it. So we are very, we are connected at a speed that which, which we were never with, you know, people, a friend introduces you to somebody and very soon it has turned into a work conversation. So a lot of things are developing very quickly in the context of how quickly we are connecting, we can do global work and pandemic did allow for it, technology did allow for it. Although my concern is that people are feeling far, far disconnected in spite of this connection. And I think that has to do with the fact that we form real friendships when we meet people, when we spend time with them in person, when we spend hours just, you know, just discussing random stuff, you know, just going for a meal, having some goofy conversation, sometimes just talking about, you know, things that aren't really work or anything important, but they are just life stuff, life admin stuff. And I think a lot of that, you know, that degree of connection, that degree of meeting people, you know, knowing them, sensing their energy, you know, being comfortable around them, we are losing that. Like, you know, because we have so much that we can watch on various platforms, you know, OTTs, we we can keep ourselves busy all the time with either watching something, reading. There's always so much on the internet that even if you just did that all day, you will still not have read everything. Right? Yeah. So we are very connected to what's happening in the world, but we are forgetting, you know, to connect with other people. And I think this is also evident that, you know, think about it for a lot of us who didn't grow up with phones. Your birthday meant that people would call you on your landline or even your cell phone till then. Now, you know, till late, I mean, till the last few years. Now, you know, there's a WhatsApp message. There's a, you know, there's something on your social media. Those personal conversations, even a yearly check-in almost goes away. Mm. It's just easy to, you know, to heart like a comment on somebody's, you know, to heart a post rather than pick the phone and get the details. We are confusing people's curated reality to be their real life. And, and that's how we are missing the nuance of what's happening in each other's life. It's so much more difficult to do that um, in, a, in a remote setup, especially when we are speaking like this virtually, for example. It's very easy to fall into this trap of, you know, let's get to the next uh, in the to-do list, um, especially in a corporate kind of an environment. Just today, I mean, we are, we are coming out of a long weekend. Um, but I'm, I was trying to figure out how many people I actually checked with about how their long weekend was before I got into work-related conversations. Uh, unless I do it consciously or the other person does it consciously, it doesn't happen. Uh, want to shift focus a little bit, um, Sonali, on uh, you know organizations and what can we do to solve some of these problems? And again, you've you've touched upon some of this already, um, but maybe starting with individuals, you've you've already said that self care is important. Making sure that we uh, you know draw those boundaries ourselves is is important. Um, but um, a lot of times, people also don't realize the self awareness itself is low. Uh, that we may not be aware that we have this uh, anxiety within us, and that in itself can be distressing. Again. Some something that you mentioned in the book. Um, so what advice do you have uh, for us to, you know, especially the high performing, high functioning individuals around us uh, who may not even be aware that they're actually dealing with something like this? The first thing first is to not fall into the trap of high performing, you know, uh, that that itself can be a problem because once you begin to see yourself as high performing, you may forget 
to pay attention to what it means to flourish, what it means to have hope. You may be looking at your own self in the context of only work, putting work at the center of your life. And, you know, when there's family, there's interpersonal relationships, there's your hobbies. Also, work has changed radically. There was a time where you made friends, you know, at your workplace, you had community at your workplace, you had purpose at your workplace. Now, you know, people may find satisfaction with their work, they may find money. At the same time, with hybrid, with online remote, a lot of it is changing. You know, there is that people may have to work externally to find community, to find work. So it's very crucial that people start asking themselves that what keeps them alive and what brings a sense of joy for them, what allows them to feel satisfied. Mm. You can feel a thrill of finishing a project, but it's not necessary that everybody with a promotion feels satisfied. They may be satisfied on a work front, but not at a life front. So to ask, so one is to ask yourself important questions. And even if you think you're doing well at work, it may be still okay to say that I'm still unhappy to acknowledge that if you're struggling with that. And uh, given that so many people were virtually onboarded during the pandemic, even the younger folks, it's okay if you're experiencing a burnout early into your career to acknowledge it, to ask yourself, you know, am I really feeling exhausted, you know, the first sign of a burnout, you know, chronically, you know, exhausted physically, psychologically. Secondly, you know, do I feel like I've become more cynical than before, you know? Is that something which I'm experiencing? And also, you know, if they feel that there's no purposelessness, there is no purpose or they are feeling purposelessness, then to be able to take a pause and say that, okay, you know, do I need to re-examine what I'm doing? What's working for me? What's not working for me? So I think it's an individual, it's a part of our own responsibility. Maybe, you know, every few months, you know, we need to recalibrate and check where we are on our mental health, you know, like if every few months you check your weight, maybe it's also a good idea every few months or in fact, every month to ask yourself, how am I doing, you know, when it comes to my energy levels, when it comes to my mood, do I feel like, you know, if there's a weekend plan made and if you're waiting for the other person to cancel because you're so tired, maybe pay attention to it. It's telling you something, you know, which you're avoiding possibly, right? So make time to examine and, you know, to to even get a pulse of what's happening really, you know, you may be things and mental health is invisible. So very often others may not be able to see it, but what you sense is important. At the same time, I think we need to host a space where we allow ourselves to feel. Because if we don't allow ourselves to feel, we will miss out all these cues, you know, under the veneer of being fine on the outside and suffering with it. Follow-up question. Uh, you Again, you, you've touched upon it already a little bit in our conversation, which is this entire point about having some rituals um, for yourself uh, to be able to do better at well-being for yourself, take better care of yourself. You you talk about soothing rituals and pause rituals. I think those are the terms that you use uh, in your book. Um, what are they and can you give us some examples and how they can benefit us? Pause rituals is what, you know, as a term I came about with when I struggled with burnout exactly 10 years back, actually, you know, uh, 
what I realized was that as a person, I'm somebody who is quite structured when it comes to my work. I like structure, you know, it, it allows me to do three, four different things and that's how I can manage to do them. At the same time, I recognized that there I wasn't taking enough breaks when it came to pausing on a day-to-day basis. So while I would take the weekend, you know, as a break, go for a holiday, I wasn't taking enough pauses on a daily basis, which I do have a need for, which now I've begun to recognize better in the last few years. So pause ritual is a way where two parts it has to it. Just as you schedule your calendar, you also schedule like a pause in your calendar and it's scheduled. So it could be 10 minutes, it could be 15 minutes, it could be 30 minutes. So for example, like, you know, I go for a walk between 6.30 and 7.30. So I have like that one hour block. And if I can do half an hour there, that's good. If I can do 45 minutes, that's good. If I can do more, that's fantastic. But it's block in the calendar. I generally try and avoid work around it when it's possible. Also, I freelance, I work, you know, I work across projects. So I do have greater autonomy around that. At the same time, uh, you know, even if you are on a job, taking 10, 15 minutes is the autonomy that a lot of us have if we build pause in our calendar at certain times. And that's what I mean by it. And that's why I'm saying half an hour is not what everyone is. And the second part to it is that use that time to engage in what I talk about in the book as self-soothing rituals. So all of us have this superpower, which is to soothe ourselves, to calm ourselves, whether we are wired, whether we are feeling overwhelmed, whether we are feeling anxious. And by soothing, I mean, we can engage in certain activities, whether, you know, whether it's physical activities, it's emotional activities that allow us to feel a little calmer, that allow us to feel comforted. So for example, walking works as an activity for me. Uh, You know, doing a form of martial arts, gymming, maybe something that works for somebody else, it's soothing for them. On the other hand, journaling, possibly meditation. These could be activities that work for other people to calm themselves. And there are some people who would need to engage in let's say, call a friend, meet a friend, you know, call a family member, speak to them as activities that calm and soothe them. So there are a host of ways, A, you could do activities solo by yourself, B, you could reach out to other people, you know. But the minute you reach out to other people, it becomes social soothing, which is also part of soothing. Also as part of self-soothing, you know, whether it's meditating, whether it's just about saying, I will just sit with my eyes closed, and just try and slow down my breathing. These are activities which one can do as a part of pause rituals to be able to rest and recenter oneself. So the larger idea is that you use this time, you schedule time in your calendar to pause. Secondly, you use this time to engage in a soothing activity. And thirdly, most importantly, this is the time for monotasking, not multitasking. Mm. So you know, if you are if you're listening to music, you're only listening to music. You're not trying to send emails alongside. You're not trying to, you know, fold clothes and at the same time, you know, you are trying to, you know, like maybe doodle something. No, you just do one thing at a time. You monotask. 
understood and it's so important to also treat these uh, with the same level of uh, uh, you know seriousness as you would any other work task otherwise it it becomes that uh, it's happened with me where you know I, i pass it by because other important work related things kind of take over so i need to kind of tell myself that this is as important if not more important than the other things that i'm i'm supposed to do um, right and it it makes me better across uh, other activities as well um, absolutely yeah uh great uh, sonali um i want to shift focus a little bit we've spoken about the level of the individual um in in organizations of course we also work as teams we work with other people uh, pretty much uh, you know on an ongoing basis so at the level of the team how can groups of people better take care of each other do you have any tips uh, for uh, for people to take care of each other when they are in a team uh, working environment and also for managers uh, what roles do managers have in enabling some of this for their uh, people thank you you know for this question i'm very glad you're asking this because i think in today's time both the managers team leaders they hold a significant role in the context of how individuals people who work with them feel and in turn can learn to take care of themselves so you know a lot of work i do in fact is with managers team leaders to talk about how they can role model behaviors actions and also intent in conversations which allows team members also to feel you know that they are cared for not just for their work but their mental health also matters so various ways uh, i think first one is learning as a team member you know as a team whether you're a team member or a manager to model some of these behaviors like taking a holiday or not texting someone on the weekend or not sending a message you know at beyond work hours so if your work hours are till about 6 or 7 don't send a message you know at like 8:30 even if you say you know like i don't want you to answer now it's okay if you don't want somebody to answer now please send them a message tomorrow morning first thing you know yeah. but the very fact that somebody has to read that message also sometimes you know makes them wonder it gets them into a work mode right the mm-hmm. same point we talked about earlier about the minute you have seen a message even on a weekend your mind is automatically at work and particularly if you struggle with anxiety already solving it in your head yeah yeah so so become mindful of your own behaviors your own you know how you come about with others so also model vulnerability if you are struggling with you know if you are struggling it may be okay you don't need to talk about the full intensity of what's happening but let's say for example somebody there was grief in their family it's okay to take time off their organizations that give you grief leave that give you extended grief leave to take that because you need it it's also okay when somebody asks how are you doing to say i'm not doing well i'm trying to cope you know it's hard yeah so modeling it the third important area is you know if you work in the organization to figure what are some practices that can be created that allow employees to reach out for you know to reach out to other professionals so whether it's a eap within the company whether it's hosting various conversations various sessions with therapists that allow them to understand what burnout looks like that also allows them to understand how mental health is much mental health is also about how does one lead a good life 
not just about the disorders right yeah. because there are enough people who don't have the disorders actually but they still may be struggling right you may not have clinical depression but you may have a low lying mood mm. and that comes in the way of your functioning you may not have a sleep disorder per se but you struggle to fall off to sleep or you don't get restful sleep so for people to also know that what does good mental health look like and that's something i think which is very very crucial for each and every organization because organizations that take care of employees in a holistic way are the ones which are going to benefit in the long run because the productivity is higher members are likely to stay because they feel that you care for them as a whole it's not just their work and it also puts out a message that you're creating a psychologically safe environment so it needs to be built into the fabric of a society where mental health issues are not just acknowledged but there's also space to discuss and role modeling coming whether it's from the trustees the stakeholders whether it's the team leaders there's a culture of acknowledging that and not looking at mental health as something which will interfere with how they are perceived that they will receive judgment if they talk about mental health concerns very interesting yeah especially the point about normalizing some of these conversations even in day to day conversations i think i don't think we are there yet uh, but like you said th- there is so much to be done there to um, you know make sure that this becomes business as usual like some of the other celebrations that we have for instance right so can we have uh, can we have serious conversations about mental health within teams uh, and also enable managers to have some of those conversations um i think that's fantastic uh, on the point of um, you know building a culture of wellbeing um, sonali you you, uh, you spoke about it briefly um are there anything else that organizations can do leaders can do um any uh, any specific policies that you've come across which have you know kind of caught your eye um anything that you might want to add one of my uh, favorite or favorite is not the right word but one of the policies which i really like which uh, some of the organizations have is people are given 2 to 3 weeks extended leave when there's grief that has happened mm. and uh, i i feel that's something which is really required because that's something which we often don't talk about which we also believe that people in the aftermath of grief will just come and report to work after the first week and things will be fine so one of one of the you know the policies that really makes sense to me is giving people 2 to 3 weeks of you know grief leave because it's very very important that people get that space to be able to process it secondly organizations you know that there are some organizations which will you know have like a week full where either a week full or about like 3 to 4 days where globally if they are global organization then nobody is working mm. it's time which is scheduled globally where everybody is away you can either take some time off you can figure do your life admin stuff and i think that's fantastic because you know then you don't get mails from anywhere so no matter what your role is it means the entire organization is taking a pause for that time and that's something which is very very important so if it's a week if it's four days even if it means that it's that one day in the month where across teams nobody is allowed to send emails it's a day completely off that's something that allows people a clean breather 
given that we live so much with technology i think on days where we don't receive emails are good days sometimes right yeah. it just feels so light that there's no email yeah yeah absolutely and uh, this point about uh, you know taking a day off with everybody around you that that makes uh, such a difference because you know that everybody's off and therefore you don't have to worry about uh, you know getting disturbed uh, and everybody is in the same state of mind as you uh right and that that makes such a difference yeah that's a that's a really good one thanks for um thanks for sharing that um great so um you know i'm i'm pretty much through with all my questions maybe just one last closing thought from you sonali have you uh have you kind of rethought any of your assumptions that you were making while you were you know probably writing the book because the pandemic happened and our world kind of turned upside down uh, anything that you might not have covered so far any any open points that you might want to add on so one is this point about you know about the high functioning which you know which uh, which i wrote the column about that maybe we need to reimagine when we are using labels like high functioning second in the light of the pandemic what has become more and more clear is that uh, and uh, i mentioned it in the book but i don't think in detail i mentioned or gone into it that financial anxiety also this scarcity mindset which the pandemic also brought about mm. i've often thought about that a lot of anxiety that people are feeling also has to do with the insecurities that came in at a financial level and financial legal stressors they can be factors that can really induce anxiety in people in a big way thirdly i i am a big believer of the fact that we need to ask ourselves that just as we invest in our relationships you know in our you know in our close intimate relationships you know in our work all of it i think we are also at a time where the self where we understand the narrative of self care self compassion but we may need to figure and i've said it in the book you know and maybe in the light of pandemic and also the job intensity piece we may need to clearly carve out for ourselves rituals and exact timings also so that we can pay attention to our own needs not just on a weekly basis but on a daily basis mm. because that pause on a daily basis is very crucial so while in the book i stated i think in the you know as we are still the covid is not over yet it's still there we still keep hearing of cases the pause has become more and more important because the pandemic may have you know the intensity of the pandemic we don't feel it now as much but we people are continuing to feel more wired yeah. so while the book had a you know entire chapter on wired and tired i think now the, it's five times more people feel it far more people yeah. feel that so i think it's important to build that pause over and over again and and maybe every month take that time every week take that time to assess how you're doing you know what what's happening to you and look for you know if for a month the pattern of you not doing well continues then pay attention to it don't let it slip by sure yeah and that's so important that uh, building that self awareness and it's a, it's a process 
um, you know who you are as you uh, as you go through this process. Wonderful, uh, Sonali. Thank you so much for um, coming on the show and for sharing your views so openly. Um, it's been a real pleasure uh, having you over. I'm so happy we could do this together. Thank you. What I found truly remarkable about this episode is how Sonali challenges the prevailing norm of normalizing or even glorifying high-performing, high-functioning professionals, often overlooking the struggles we may face as human beings. The pressure to always be wired and constantly on the go is a reality, and the post-pandemic era has only amplified its intensity. It is imperative that we address mental health and well-being in a holistic manner, requiring collective efforts from individuals, teams, managers, and our organizations. As we conclude this episode, I sincerely hope that it has inspired you to prioritize and nurture your own mental health. Remember, taking care of yourself is not only essential for your well-being, but also allows you to advocate for mental health and well-being within your workplace. Until we meet again, I encourage you to be mindful of your own mental well-being and to actively promote a culture of mental health and wellness in your professional environment.